I thank you for just, an, just the simple things of answering prayers of a week of relief, of pain. What a blessing that is. And I thank you that Esther sees it as that, such a blessing from you, God. So we're grateful for how you love us, how you provide for us, how you take care of us, and how you even allow us to struggle so that we can be running to you to have our needs met. May this time, God, in your, wor- in your word now be a time where your spirit leads us, guides us. May my words be your words as we, as we listen and as we participate in looking in your word. And we pray it all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. If someone were to, let me ask you this. If someone were to ask you, what is your purpose in life? What's the purpose of your life? What would you say? What would you say if someone said, what is the purpose of your life? Is it to be happy? Maybe it's to make other people happy. Maybe it's to be the best version of you that you can be or the best person that you could possibly be. But let me ask you, have you ever really stopped and to think about what your purpose in life is? You know, knowing knowing and living out your purpose in life, there's something wonderful about that. What it does, it gives us hope. It gives us direction. It gives us motivation to face each day with a deeper sense of anticipation, even if we're struggling with pain and things like that. So have purpose makes a difference. Now, if you know your purpose in life, if you're sitting there going, yeah, okay, I think I know my purpose in life. Question, the next question is, then how do we know if we are living out our purpose? What are some things that we should be doing or some things that, that should be occurring that will kind of signal to us or help us understand that for sure I am living out my purpose? Well, this morning as we continue our series in uh, the book of Matthew, we are going to look at this. We are going to look at how Jesus going, how he had living out his purpose for his life, what Jesus really did, he modeled for us how to then live out our purpose. That's what I love about going through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, because we come across some great ideas and great topics. And that's, that's what this, this one is this week, figuring out how to live out our purpose. Well, one, one way to get a clear picture on what Jesus' purpose was is if we look at this small story, there's a short story that talks in the book of John that talks about a guy who was a wealthy chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. Okay, this, this story really helps us out here. He was really, this guy was really, even though he was a tax collector, looked, looked upon as kind of the scum of the earth, people back then, but he was wealthy and he was super curious about Jesus. He wanted to know about Jesus. So the story goes on that Jesus comes to his town, and as Jesus is passing through, many of you know the story, as Jesus is passing through, a crowd starts coming around, and Zacchaeus, as you remember, those of you who know the story, was, is what? Short in stature, should we say. He was a short guy, and he could not see, so what does he do? He runs ahead and climbs up a tree right where he knows that Jesus is going to pass under. And as Jesus approaches the tree, Jesus, the story says Jesus looks up. And there he tells, he looks, sees Zacchaeus, and he tells Zacchaeus, hurry on down. I'm going to stay at your house. I'm going to come to your place. Can you imagine Zacchaeus going, what? I just wanted to see him. I got to hang out with him? So the story says that it joyfully and excitedly, Zacchaeus 
invites him to his house, and he comes. Now, John goes on in this story. If you look, it says that the crowd, didn't, it just didn't sit very well with the crowd that he was doing this, that Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' house. The, the story says that they began muttering to themselves that they couldn't believe that Jesus would go to this house that would no doubt be full of sinners or what we would think, people that don't live or behave in a way that true godly people should. So people are like, can you, what the heck is he doing? Why would a rabbi, why would a guy like him go there? Well, we see in the story that Zacchaeus soon repents. Remember, we talked about what repentance is. He turns away from his former way of life and his former way of thinking, and Jesus responds to him, and in Jesus' response, he essentially gives his own purpose in life. Luke chapter 19, verse 9 and 10 says this, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost, to save the lost from sin, darkness, and rebellion towards God so that in turn, man could have this intimate relationship with the God who created them. And Jesus, and Jesus did this. He proclaimed this throughout his ministry, as we've seen. Remember, he was by proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is how Jesus went about that, his life purpose, by proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And remember, we talked about this a few months ago, ago the, the, that the kingdom of heaven, what it is, is it's the rule and it's the reign in the hearts, God's rule and reign in the hearts of those who submit themselves to his authority. It's that rule and that's reign, his reign. That's what the kingdom is. So we see that here, to seek out the lost by proclaiming them to them the kingdom of heaven in order that they would be saved was Jesus's purpose, okay? This was his purpose on earth. And you know what, my friends? It's ours too. This is to be our purpose in life, okay? You see, Jesus, just, and I'll prove it because just before he ascended and went back to heaven, Jesus said in John, he said, as the Father has sent me, even so, I'm sending you. Just like he sent me, I am sending you. What that means is just like the Father God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost by proclaiming them the kingdom of heaven in order that we would be saved, so too Jesus sends us the same to go and proclaim the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we specifically, how, we, how are we specifically supposed to live out this purpose? Because one thing to say, go proclaim, bye, let's pray, see ya. But how are we supposed to do that specifically? What are the, some of the things that we should be doing or some of the things that should be occurring that help us to know for sure that we are living out our purpose for this life? Well, in today's passage, we're going to see how Jesus lived out his, his purpose for life. And in doing so, he really gave us a model for living out our purpose in life. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. 
So first, so look, let's look right away. Let's jump right in. The first way that he says it, he shows us how to live out our purpose is in verses 12 through 17. Let's read that together. He says, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So let's, let's see what's going on here. So it's probably, if you, especially if you look in John's gospel, it's probably been up to about a year since when we looked at last time when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. About a year has probably gone by. Some things have happened. He turned the water into the wine. Different things like that had happened during this year. Now, all of a sudden, Jesus hears. He's still down in Judea. Jesus hears that John the Baptist has been arrested, and he heads up north. Okay, heads up north to Galilee. If you want to know the whole story about why John was, um, was arrested, you can look at that uh, in chapter 14, why Herod arrested him. We will get there eventually. So this is one of the reasons that Jesus likely withdrew from Judea to Galilee because of Herod's conflict with John and really Jesus' association with him. Because remember, Jesus was going to be the one that comes after John. John was saying, he's coming after me, and he's the guy. So this is one of the reasons. You'll see on this, on this map up here, kind of circled it up high. So Jesus was down here in Judea, and he goes all the way up to Capernaum, partially to escape probably the craziness. It wasn't his time to be arrested and all that, so he went away to do, to do that. And eventually he ends up in Capernaum, which is located on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. See, once again, here we go. We're getting... It's almost like you're saying, okay, Matthew, a little specific, buddy. Why are we getting this? All? Remember, once again, what Matthew is doing now, he's getting very specific about geographic information about Jesus because, remember, it references the fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament. Remember his audience. He's trying to tell people, the Jewish people, listen, this is the Messiah. This is the one you should be, respect, you should be expecting. So he even includes stuff like, look, he, he took off and went up north. That was in the Bible. That was in the Old Testament. More evidence, more and more evidence. And it's interesting that these words that they use, and I think it's important, a lot of times we skip over, oh, Naphtali, Zebulun, oh, whatever, whatever, that's just Old Testament, blah, blah, blah. This is important stuff. Because once again, it's part of prophecy about who Jesus is. Now, although tribal areas had little actual relevance anymore in the New Testament, this was important. Matthew saw it still important enough to mention that there are two of the 12 tribes back in the Old Testament. This is where they landed. He still wants them to get that. You see, remember, he's, he's trying to talk into their understanding of Jewish history because he knows his audience here. Well, verse 15 and 16 are from Isaiah. Okay, the prophet Isaiah said these words, and really what these are is a preclude kind of to that uh, familiar messianic prophecy that come just a few, few verses later that we're pretty much all familiar of because of Christmas time. It says where it talks about that kid that was that child that is born to us, and he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. See what Matthew's doing? 
He's linking by talking about a town. By talking about Jesus moving from here to there, he's linking. He's saying this all is together. It's like we need to, it's all about Jesus is what he's trying to say. It's all about Jesus. So notice that the prophecy describes people that are dwelling in darkness. What this tells us is Galilee was a really dark place. There was a lot of spiritual darkness there. Sound like a place? Whoa. Sound anywhere familiar? Yeah, the Bay Area. It sounds very much like the Bay Area. People living in spiritual darkness. We can relate. I think we can really relate to what was going on there. I mean, I just, for the heck of it, I saw, I was looking at these different surveys. We hear them all the time, but it's one of them I read that says that the Bay Area is one of the least church, one of the least church-going populations of anywhere in America. Dark. We can relate to where he was going. We can relate to this prophecy. Yet now we see that a great light has come to the people of this region of Galilee. And Jesus is that light. And we've all heard, many of you heard this verse in the Gospel of John. He records Jesus as even saying this very thing. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Isn't light a wonderful thing? I don't think we, we don't miss light until we don't have it, huh? Until we're stumbling around in the dark. That's when we miss light. Light exposes any and all darkness. I love that. I love that about what it does spiritually. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote in a paper that he gave at Oxford's Socratic Club. It was entitled, Is Theology Poetry? He says this, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, that the, I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, because I see, but because I see everything else. That's what light does. Shows us everything that's going on with us, what's going on with the world. It illuminates the truth and lies. You see, there's now this dawning hope because Jesus has arrived proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. Now, in verse 17, we see that Jesus is preaching, just as, just as John the Baptist, remember, we looked at this, that people need to repent. We looked at that word, what that would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon if you haven't about what true repent, repentance really means, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Remember, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the command for all people to repent everywhere is really a, a central message of the New Testament. It really literally means to change our mind, change the way we view ourselves and the way we view God, to totally go the other way, to totally change. So what this first section is telling us here, this first section of our passage is teaching us that in living out our purpose of pro proclaiming the kingdom of heaven in order that the lost would be saved, we need to intentionally shine the light of Jesus to all people. To help them to see that, they're, to have, that there's light in the midst of darkness, that there's hope amidst hopelessness. But how do we do that? It's one thing to say that. We hear that in church. Go shine the light. You know, we hear, we used to sing songs about that. This little light of mine. All these things. But what does that mean? What does that practically mean? Well, thankfully, Jesus models that for us here. He shows us. 
And how do we do that? We do it by doing what he did, by living what was called incarnationally. We live it by living what is called incarnation. The word incarnation means the act of being made flesh, okay? It's the idea of God, the Son of God, coming down to earth in human flesh. It really, the best verses that come from this is John 1, 14, where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But you know what I really love? I love Eugene Peterson in the message the way he says it. I first heard about this when I was working with an organization called Young Life where we would just, it was all about going to where uh, kids are at. Instead of inviting them, we go to them. And I love this. What his version says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I just love that. That is what living incarnationally is. You see, it means that we live, that we live just as Jesus lived while he was here on earth. And as the body of Christ we are, in a real sense, an extension of Jesus' earthly body. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouth to the world. And what this means is that as followers of Jesus, we are missionaries everywhere we go. Okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you are are a missionary everywhere, all the time. Let's not get this in our head that it's only missionaries are those that are sent off. They are missionaries, and that's a wonderful thing, and it's, a, and it's an amazing sacrifice and all that thing. But we are all called to sacrifice just as much. We're all called to proclaim the gospel just as much where we live, where we are, no matter how we feel about ourselves. That is what we are supposed to do. Missionaries everywhere. So living out our purpose as followers of Jesus means that you and I continually ask and we pray and ask God to show us how can I be God's hands, feet, and mouth in our culture? We need to be constantly asking ourselves that. How can I be God's hands, his feet, and his mouth to our culture. That's how we shine the light. By being intentional about how we live our Christian life out. Well, the second practical way that Jesus gives us as a model for living out our purpose is, comes from the next section that we see here. 18, verse, to 18 to 22 says this. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Well, here we see Jesus calling his first disciples. Now, really, before we go on, I really want to spend some time talking about what a disciple is, okay? Because I think there's some mixed ideas of what a disciple is. A disciple is a follower, or it's someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another person and really makes that the rule for their life. 
Not just someone who learns from someone, but really takes on and makes that the rule for their life and the way they're going to live their life. A disciple of Jesus is someone who is daily being transformed into the image of Christ. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing in Scripture that differentiates between, the, between a Christian and a disciple. Now, we've got those debates, you know, is a Christian, can a Christian, is a, if you're a Christian, are you automatically a disciple? That, that doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. A Christian is a disciple, okay? A Christian is, a true Christian is a disciple. Look at John 8.31. John 8.31 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, to people that believed him, Basically, new Christians, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Okay? He's saying to be a true disciple, to be a really, to be a Christian means that you believe in, that you trust in, and that you rest in God's word. That's what a Christian is. There's no such thing as just as being a Christian here and not being a Christian there. Or I'm sometimes, I'm, it doesn't exist. To be a Christian means to be a disciple. Well, unfortunately, there's this fallacy out there in modern Christian, you know, in our modern day Christian that says that once you become a Christian, here's what you do. You become a Christian, then you kind of sit back, you get, you get someone to talk to you about Jesus, you start to sit in the back row, kind of, you work your way up. Sorry, I didn't mean that for people in the back row. You know, <laughs> you work your way up the ladder of the Christian faith, learning more and more, and then you become this disciple that goes out and does things for God. That's, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that. That's not the life of a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't exist. Now, notice what Jesus tells them to do. He, he tells them what they're going to be doing. Right away, he tells them. He doesn't say, just come follow me. He says, come and follow me. And what is he telling them they're going to do? They're going to fish for men. That they understood to some degree. They're going to fish for men. What Jesus is calling them to do is to be more than just simply learners, okay? He's not just calling them to come along and learn from him, but he's, taking, he's calling them an active part in his own purpose. He, what he's doing here is he's taking his purpose and he's making it theirs. Okay? He's taking his purpose and making it their purpose. Now, to fish for men so that they would in turn fish for other men and then in turn fish for other men. This is what he was asking. To make disciples that make disciples. This was the purpose, to make disciples that will go on and make more disciples, that will go on and make more disciples. That's what our purpose is to be. Jesus wasn't calling them to just follow him, but he was calling them to help others follow him as well. That's what a disciple of Jesus does. And we know this to be true because the very last instructions that Jesus gave us on earth, when he was on earth, what was called the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, we're going to get there eventually too, it says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and start a Bible study. It's a good thing. 
He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you in this process. So don't be scared. Don't worry about it. So what does it look like? What does it look like practically to be a disciple that makes disciples? I mean, is there, is there a training class involved? Maybe. Maybe. That's not a bad thing. It can't hurt. But the truth is, to make disciples simply means being fully present in people's lives as we shine the light of Jesus by living incarnationally like Jesus did. That's how we make disciples. You don't need a certificate to go disciple people. We live intentionally, warts and all, with people as we shine the light of Jesus with them. I've shared this quote before, and I'm going to do it again. Bill Mowry, who serves with Navigators, writes this. He says, despite our weaknesses and fears, Jesus invites us to participate in the Great Commission by helping people live for Christ in the here and now. All you have to do is live intentionally, love God, and journey alongside others life to life. That's how we disciple people. We always feel like, oh, I got to get the right curriculum. That can't hurt. Oh, I got to have all this knowledge. I got to clean myself up first. No. Immediately, Jesus called his disciples to the purpose of making other disciples. Now, it was a process, obviously, with them. It's always a process. But that's what following Jesus is all about. Now, notice how these men respond to Jesus' command to follow him. Notice how, what do they do? Um, you know, that, Jesus, that sounds like an amazing opportunity. Sounds amazing, and I really want to be a part of it. But, you know, life is just kind of crazy right now. Kids are young. Um, you know, they're, I, I, it's got a lot going. Job's going on, you know. My marriage needs work. I'm just not feeling right. But, you know, hey, get back to me in a few months. I'm there. Immediately, immediately, they, draw, they leave their nets and follow him. You see, when Jesus calls a person to become his disciple, he calls them to a radical priority shift. It's a radical priority shift, okay? Later on in Matthew, we read that Jesus, it says this, in Matthew 16, it says, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let me ask you, what, net, what nets are you holding on to that keep you from living out your purpose in life of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven? What nets are you holding on to that keep you from your purpose of being a disciple that makes disciples? We all have our nets, don't we? Fear, busyness, other priorities. We all got them. First thing is to recognize it. What is your net? What's keeping you from doing that?
Now, this is no small thing. No small thing to be asked to do this, to, be a, to intentionally come alongside other people so that they can know and fall in love with Jesus more. That's no small thing to go be a disciple that makes disciples. So how do we find the courage and the strength to do it? How do we say, if you're sitting here right now and you're saying, okay, I'm in. I'm in. I want to be a true disciple. I want to start living my purpose. How do I do this? Well, as we're going to see in verse 25, 23 to 25, it is possible because thankfully we aren't called to live out our purpose on our own power. That's the beauty. We're not called to live it out on our own power. Look at verses 23 to 25. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick those who afflict, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea, from beyond the Jordan. And what we're, now, we would all expect Jesus, when he starts his ministry, because that's what he's doing, he's starting his public ministry, we would always all expect him to be teaching people, instructing them about God's word, about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. But notice specifically what Matthew does here. He specifically emphasizes what? Healing. Oh my gosh, this is, a, this is a sermon series in itself. He emphasizes healing. I mean, he even gets into talking about specific diseases and all sorts of things. Once again, Matthew is alluding to Jesus' fulfillment, okay? This is one of the things he's doing. He's, he's helping people. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Isaiah 53, I mean 35, 5 says this. And speaking about the Messiah, it says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall a lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Oh my gosh, could you imagine being around that kind of stuff? And you don't have to go just to Reading to have an experience. You don't have to go to Bethel. You don't have to go to a certain denomination or a certain type of teaching to see that happen. You don't. God's power is amazing. He also read the beginning of his public ministry with healing right out of the gates. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's displaying his power. He's, he's letting people know right away, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is in his hand, because for them, the kingdom of heaven meant great. Roman, Romans are done. All us religious people get to sit up on high and, okay, tell, tell us what to do. No. That's not what he was saying. He says power is over all this other thing. He says, I'm going to teach it, but you know what? I want you to see the power that I have that's going to change the world, and it's going to change people. His power over all diseases and all the demonic activity. He has power over all that. That's what he wanted them to see, that this is the God, that this is the Messiah that has been talked about for thousands of years. Here he is. Not just proclaiming the kingdom, but coming in power. I think we forget that. We forget that we have a Savior full of power. And that power is available 
to us. It's amazing. Now, obviously, what this is going to bring make him pretty popular. You would think if someone comes around, they're healing all these people. His fame would spread. It even says that his fame spreads. Basically, all those towns he's talking about, basically his fame spread well beyond where he ever went. It went all over the place. Without Facebook, without tweeting, nothing. His fame just spread like crazy. See, here's the truth. The truth is as Jesus lived out his purpose with great power, guess what? So are we do the same. To live out our purpose with power. Look what the Apostle Paul said. He said concerning his own ministry, what he was talking about, where, where, does, where does this come from? How, do, how am I able to do what I do? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, he says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me, which was given me by the working of his power. It was his power, this grace that God just poured out and said, here's the power. It's not yours, it's from me. You see, when we're willing to drop our nets and to follow Jesus by his grace, we are able to minister in his power. This takes the pressure off. It totally takes the pressure off for having to rely on, oh, wait, I'm not skilled enough. I haven't been a Christian very long. I don't, I don't think I know enough. I'm not very smart. I'm not very skilled. My personality, I'm total introvert. Or I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I can't control my mouth. Whatever it is, we don't have to worry about any of that stuff. We don't have to worry because we carry out our mission in his power. It's what helps us overcome those fears. The fear of stepping out of our comfort zone. Whoa, I'm going to walk alongside by. They're going to see all my dirty laundry. God's going to use that in a powerful way as you drop your net and say, I'm in. I don't know what this is going to look like. For those of you that are out there that are control freaks, this is really hard. Because you can't say, okay, I'm going to do this, and I know it's going to look like this, 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 and this. Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to happen at all. Chances are it's going to look exactly what you don't think it's going to look like. And it's going to blow your mind. Because it's going to come from God and from his power. It's how we live out our purpose. When we minister in his power, we're able to say things that we never imagined we would be able to say. We're able to go places that we never imagined that we would be able to go. We're able to do things that we never imagined we would be able to do because of God's power. And we're able to accomplish things for his kingdom that we never imagined we would do. I'll tell you right this, off script here, me being here right now, doing what I'm doing right now, I would have never thought, never in a million, I was that shy, I don't want to get in front of anybody, I don't, I don't want to make a mistake because that defines who I am, all that. And now here I am in a public, what? That's God's power. That's God, that's not me. That's his power. And if anything comes, any fruit comes of it, that's his power. And God wants to do the same with each one of you, not necessarily to be the next person that comes up here, but in your world, in your setting, in the wherever God has you, he wants to use you in power. 
We're just simply called to step out in faith, follow his leading, trusting that he will empower us to live out our purpose. Now, what happened when Jesus displayed his power? People noticed. They noticed. You see, when we minister in God's power, in his power, the power of Jesus, people will notice. People will notice, okay? They will see that there's something different about us. They will see that something different about us and be attracted to what that thing is. What is it about you that I just can't seem to shake? There's something going on. And not because you're charismatic and not because you're doing all this, but there's just there's something going on in you different. That's God's power. That's how he works. As followers of Jesus, our purpose in life is the same as his was when he was here. Let this be an encouragement to all of us to live out our purpose in life, to proclaim the kingdom of heaven, which remembers God's rule and God's reign in the hearts and lives of those who submit to him, by intentionally shining the light of Jesus, by making disciples that make disciples, and by ministering in his power. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your incredible love for us, that you would allow us, oh my goodness, you would call people like us to minister for you, to proclaim your kingdom, broken people like us. God, we are so grateful that you've done that, and it's scary. But God, I pray that this morning we would be encouraged by your word, the example that your son gave us to be able to live our lives out loud in front of people, not because we have it all together, not because we're so good at this Christian thing, but because it's what you've called us to do, warts and all, knowing, God, that you will empower us to do it. Thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to do that. In Christ's name, amen.